0: And gentlemen, welcome to Evening Jones. Daddy, here we go. So, I feel like I need to let y'all know. Any you know, move to New York, case you missed it. I now live here. This show, unlike last week's show, I will, in fact, take questions. Um, sorry, man, it's just one of those things. Uh, I just got on the road thinking about different things, but I do want to just bring up something for you right fast that has just been like hitting me. Um, Hey man, if you are going to move to New York, right? I'm just gonna let you know this. If you have any plans of moving to New York City at any point, I suggest you get a gym membership before you move to New York City. And I noticed some of y'all may be like, damn, Bomani, what you mean? Look, man, it's one thing to be in a city where you can walk to all these places. It's another thing to actually do the fucking walking. Like, right, your boy been walking a lot, okay? All right, a lot. Man, I don't, and it's not just that you walk a lot, it's that you're never done walking. And so what I'm saying, like, you're never done walking. Something always gonna happen, and you gotta walk there. Or you're gonna walk there. But what you gotta get about the walking, and it's kind of lost in this discussion. Like, it's not a matter of, like, it's not like I'm talking about, oh, my God, I've got all these errands to run. Oh, my God, I had to walk home from the grocery store with all these things. Oh, my goodness, I bought a television from Best Buy, and I had to carry it on my back and walk it all the way home. No, that's not the thing that happens to you. You know what winds up happening to you? You just be going places. Like, that's it. You just be going places. And what I mean by, like, you just be going places, like, I think it's a little different if you move to the city and you're young because you don't really know that many people, like, just in life, let alone that many people that go to New York. But, like, I work in media. You know, this is a job or a a realm of things where people move here, right? Like, I wrote about music for years. That's a very New York-centric sort of thing i'm in television you know new york is a big thing there and then you just know all kinds of people do all kinds of different work like publicists you know what i mean like you know you, you know just people that i've around people basically i got to new york and quickly realized how many people i knew in New York city. And it's not just like people that I knew are like, Oh, okay. Cool. You in town. It's like people that I would actually like to see. And so next thing, you know, you just always rolling somewhere, right? That's all it takes. Like, like Saturday went to the Met, right? Got my stroll along through the Met. After I get done with the Met, I come back to the shack. Brother and my sister in law come pick me up. We ride out. Uh, uh, the homies has got a little setup down in uh, Williamsburg in Brooklyn. We go down there, but see, we kind of old and watch. We got there at like seven, I guess. Um, we left there at twelve, and this is how you know you watch. We left that joint at twelve, and we were mad at ourselves. Like, how in the world do we manage to stay out this late? right like we all knew it was 11 o'clock why didn't somebody step up and say "Let's time to go home I mean, it's time to go home right nope 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 no nope. we just rolling we just having such a good time you know and we actually were having a good time we were having a fantastic time but we having such a good time and we get back at like 12. man i get up next day meet my man brad brad is the uh He's a coordinating producer, whatever the title is. Anyway, he, he run things over there on the Jesus and Mero. So we catch up in Brooklyn. We post up, get some food. We leave. No, he's in Harlem. We leave. I'm like, yo, uh, let's ride out, check out one of the homies. So we ride out, go check out one of the homies. You know, he got a three-year-old. We play with the three-year-old. We just kind of lounging, you know, chilling. After that, it's like, all right, cool. Let's roll out. So we roll out. We start walking. Next thing I know, we don't run smack dab into Central Park. I didn't I didn't know that's where we were at the time. Right. I ain't been here that long. So we run into Central Park and we don't go into park. We make a right. We walk. Next thing I know, come up my way. One of my uh, former students, She was in one of the classes I taught at uh, Carolina. I'm like, yo, what's going on, right? And she's like, yo, we about to have a picnic in the park. Come through. So I'm like, okay. So I look at the homie, and I'm like, yo, are uh, you trying to roll? And he's like, nah, I got somebody to meet. I'm like, all right, straight. So I go in the park, wind up, you know, chilling out amongst all these strangers, typically not my steeds, trying to make it work, a little growth. You know what I'm saying? Next thing I know, I'm posted up. Man, I wind up, like, meeting uh, a dude who directed one of my favorite 30 for 30s like i heard the dude's name and i was like yo let me check this out so like the dude's sitting like a blanket away from me and i'm sitting here on my phone like looking him up in the wiki see him or googling to make sure i'm 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 looking at the right person and it was right boom there it is so i get done with that then i'm like oh yeah my brother said there's a little little set that he want to hit jump in the cab roll out check out, catch up with my brother for a little bit. We get out, we walk by seven blocks, boom, we go do that, wasn't really hitting on nothing. I told him, yo, got another friend in town, about to roll down the street uh, and uh, give me something to eat while I'm out there. You trying to roll? He's like, yeah, I'll roll. So boom, next thing I know, me and my brother, we all just posted up, chilling, outside, you know, no major thing. After that, do a little walking around in the neighborhood, uh, get back to the crib. Man, listen, I woke up on Monday, and I'm like, damn, dog, I'm tired. Hey, yo, this is a little, there's a lot going on with this, man. The next thing you know, you know, I do radio, man. I get off work at 7, but you got to remember, man, I'm staying, like, in a temporary spot. So they're sitting like comfortable, you know, and it ain't like I'm really buying groceries to come up in here and cook because this ain't my spot. I don't trust their pots. I don't know these people, you know. So um wind up going out to dinner on Monday. Last night I get off work and I'm like, no matter what happens, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying right over here because I am tired. My back is like a little bit tight like I need to start stretching in the morning right I'm not going anywhere I'm not going anywhere I'm not going anywhere and then I wind up texting Pablo and then next thing I know I'm on the subway and then me and Pablo on the way chill out get something to eat Get some Mexican food. It's all good. Nice little hike, by the way, between that subway station and where we got that Mexican food. Nice little hike back too. You want to keep it one hundred? Then I get up this morning. Supposed to go meet somebody up at nine thirty. Get on the train. Accidentally get off the wrong stop. Look at the maps. I'm like, nah, I ain't doing this walking. Not here, not now. I get to where I'm going, bruh. Next thing I know, lady I'm meeting comes out and was like, maybe I misunderstood, but I thought you were coming tomorrow. And like, I just poured a cup, you know, got the cup of coffee they offered me. And so I just sat down, and posted up, and drank my coffee, bro. I was like, "Yo, I'm gonna just chill out." I was like, "No problem." And I can't imagine what those people were thinking. They walking in out that office. I'm just sitting there, posted up, checking Twitter, drinking my coffee, right? Somebody said, "I know you was heated." Actually, I was not heated. And the reason that I was not heated was, hey, man, I'm a grown up. I probably need to be awake anyway, right? Like I was going. what wasn't gonna do just sit around in this little in the in the shack or whatever. Or just go sit outside. I was like, "Nah, man." Went down there. It's a different part of town. It was like the West Village. Got done with that. Did a little walking just to see what the neighborhood looked like because I got a glimpse of some water. Walked over there to the water. Posted it up. Saw what it was hitting on. Had a nice little 10-minute walk back to the subway. Took it back up here. Got ready for work. What I'm telling you is if you are going to move to New York. You need to get in playing shape before you get here. I had a homie a few years ago when he moved here and he told me, he was like, look man, if you're gonna do in New York, he's like, it's really gonna take you about like a year before you fully get up to speed. It's like, it's going to take you a year to get your gear right. It's going to take you a year to kind of like figure out the rotation of stuff you want to do or whatever it is. But he's like, it's really going to take you a year to get up to speed. And I was like, I don't understand this thing. Is that you mean about get your gear right? You know what I mean? Like everybody got gear. And then I realized what he was saying about getting your gear right. You know what the hard part is here about getting your gear right? You got to have so much gear. Like, that's the thing. Like, somebody's saying you can't wear your jays. No, 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 no. It's not that I can't wear my jays. Because, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you at this point. Um, like, I can talk to you sincerely. We can talk to each other, right? We don't have to uh, hold up no airs or nothing. Hey, man, at this point in the game, I'm Beaumont Jones. You ain't turning me away on no jays. Like, if you are, then I'm fine. I, you know, I'm kicked out of better shit than this. But I'm pretty much I'm pretty much good. If I'm gonna go, I'm probably gonna be good. Uh, anyway, people talk about the Tims and North. Yeah, you know, maybe you know, New York and stuff or whatever it is. But now, nah, man, I'm just telling you, you got to get into your you got to get into some level of playing shape, man. I'm sitting there doing this podcast with y'all right now, and y'all need to feel love because I would love nothing more than to lay my head back on this pillow and knock it out. I promise you, I would love nothing more than that, right? And guess what? If I wasn't doing this podcast, I'd probably be out somewhere right now. Like one difference between, wow, by the way, uh, we're like 50, uh, 13 minutes in and I still haven't taken a question. Um Like a little difference between this place in Miami is like even when I was living on the beach in Miami, Miami didn't really like pull you to go outside so much like you live on the beach and you like having the access to go on the beach. and It's cool to be able to go to the beach, but it doesn't necessarily just like tug you out there, man. Now, maybe part of this is because I live in corporate housing and, you know, like it ain't homey per se. But, man, this joint be like just pulling you outside, man. You just be sitting on benches, right, just, like, looking at people. You know what I mean? You just roll past wherever, and you just find yourself out there, man. It's hard to explain what this thing is. I tell you this, though. um, I don't know what I'm going to do when this weather gets cold, because let me tell you one thing I ain't going to be doing. Sitting on no bench. It ain't going to be that. I ain't about to be out there in a bubble coat all sitting on what they call it, the stoop, freestyling with my pots. Nope. That ain't about to happen. Anyway, let us move on to your question. Okay, I can do this. When are you going to be on first take? I saw your tweet. You will be on. I am scheduled to do first take July 26th, July 27th, and July 28th. I would also say that it's a lot easier for you to go to com and go through the tabs, and you can get the talent. Who excuse me. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else you got here. So 30 year anniversary of Appetite for Destruction is on Friday. What's your favorite song and how do you feel about the album in 2017? I think it is the second best of the 80s after Purple Rain. Um, I'll be honest with you. Um, I have spent a long time saying that I thought that Appetite for Destruction was actually the best album of the 1980s. Um, I don't know necessarily if I feel that way now, but no, I do believe that it's a top two situation where Purple Rain and Appetite for Destruction. Um, Appetite for Destruction, one thing I think that's hard And I really don't know how much anybody cares about this now, to be honest. I was going to say the one thing that I think is hard to explain to people is kind of what a deviation from what was going on, appetite for destruction was. But I really okay, deviation is not fair. I think this is what I would say. I would say that you had this like, you know, you had your new wave thing going on. You had your dudes doing your hair metal that was going on, and then you had like metal metal, but. I don't think that there was, like, really, I think there was a certain organic rock sound that was being lost in all the processing of the 1980s. Does that make sense, right? Like, Appetite for Destruction, when you hear it from, like, note one, there's a certain feeling in the guitars and everything else that I don't really think you find from that much rock from the 1980s, right? It just came back to a different place. to hit people like, oh, snap. Like, I hear people, I mean, I've heard the comparison made before to, like, Guns N' Roses as the Rolling Stones of their era. Um, I don't think that's fully off, but I also don't think that's necessarily correct. Like, I don't see Axl Rose, Axel Rose and Mick Jagger are, like, of different archetypes to me, they are coming from two completely different places. But I get it with like the two guitar sound. And I'm like, I get where people are coming from there. I think the real point they're making though is that there was a somewhat like a mainstream accessible edge going on with them. And I do know there's a lot of people though, like people who are really in the metal at that time. Um, they see appetite for destruction is kind of like. Being a watered down version of a metal album, I don't think of Guns N' Roses as being a metal band, but they seem as being like a watered down version of what the hardcore was. And if that's what you got to do, that's fine. Like that album has crazy riffs, incredible drumming, and I always feel like the fall off between this era of Guns N' Roses and like the Use Your Illusion era of Guns N' Roses is about uh Steven Adler not playing drums anymore because the drumming is way better on Appetite for Destruction than the drumming is on the Use Your Illusion stuff. And you know the whole thing where actually decided to become Elton John, which is one of the more ironic developments in the history of rock and roll. I don't think nearly enough is made of that. But anyway, um, dude, it's just cold. Like, I mean, like that's the thing. Like if you ask me my favorite song on there, that's one of those albums. I don't really think of in the context of like, what is my favorite song? Now, the problem is also appetite for destruction had those three singles that everybody knows. And, um, it's almost cliche. Like, are you gonna say "Sweet Child of Mine" is the best song on an "Appetite for Destruction"? It's a little bit cliche. Are you gonna say "It's Welcome to the Jungle"? It's a little bit cliche. Are you gonna say "It's Paradise City"? It's just a bit cliche. Which one of those is not fire? All right. I do have a bit of an affection though for "Out to Get Me." I like I the four like the first four tracks. I was about to say the first. So, like when do you get to the track that's not a, that's not a slammer? Right? It's like the first one you get to that's not a slammer. So you're crazy. Like, you're crazy is like the first with the closest one that's not a slammer. Welcome to the jungle, to It's So Easy, to Night Train, to Out to Get Me, to Mr. Brownstone, to Paradise City, to Mama Michelle. to Think About You, to the Sweet Child of Mine. Yo, that's nine slammers in a row. Nine. Also, really well-written songs. Really well-written songs. It's a lot going on there. So, yeah, somewhere I got like Purple Rain and Appetite for Destruction, like somewhere they're one and two. And the difference is, like, I feel like Purple Rain, like, sonically and thematically, was going to a place that no one had gone before. Appetite for Destruction kind of harkens to a place that we had been before. But, like, also, again, when you talk about that comparison to the Stones, yo, man, there's a sort of like snarling anger to Guns N' Roses that isn't present really in anything of the 1970s like i mean to me at least like i don't think like the sex pistols like for example and the punk thing is almost kind of facetious with it like appetite for destruction you listen to that and you're like yo these are like a bunch of assholes and also don't forget that this is wild like think about the video images and stuff like that like this is a cigarette smoking is becoming passe and they're just smoking cigarettes everywhere yeah man it's a whole different thing but i do in fact love that album Appreciate the question. Let me see what else you got here. Where do you put Anderson Park on your up, I guess, up and coming artist list? And hip hop? One. One. But you knew that. Thoughts on people defending R. Kelly and trying to compare him to Hugh Hefner. Um, I had one person in my mentions try to compare R. Kelly to Hugh Hefner. I didn't think that, like, everybody was trying to or that this was, like, widespread. If it is, I'm just not paying attention to it. Uh, This is what I would say the difference, of course, would be between R. Kelly and Hugh Hefner. Um, There are, like, plenty of grown-ups, who will tell you that they rock with Hugh Hefner? Like grown women that will tell you that they rock with Hugh Hefner? Who's saying that they rock with R. Kelly? And I I don't mean that, like, just, you know, like people making music with them or anything like that. Like, I'm saying, who is out here being, like, All these things that you're hearing about R. Kelly are not true. Have you heard anybody say that? That, oh, no, 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 no. You guys just don't understand R. Kelly. Have you heard anybody say that? Because I can't think of anybody who has said that. Not one person. And that seems to be a pretty big difference. Now, look. This story that uh, Jim was a goddess is that how you say his name? I thought it was Derek goddess. I mean, if I'm saying it wrong, forgive me. He's right for the Chicago Sun Times. He now writes for BuzzFeed. It's very interesting because he yeah, had people have been like, I wish it came from a more credible source than BuzzFeed. Wow, that's funny because this guy's been killing the R. Kelly story for 17 years, and you're just a little too stupid to realize it. Isn't that something? And the fact that BuzzFeed is a legitimate operation. Anyway, um, so th- the story is that basically R. Kelly has these women most of whom are young, um, and they belong to him, basically. Like, the term cult was used, except I don't think that what that is is a cult. Like, he sounds like a pimp. Like, the stuff that's going on with him and these women is like, that's pimp shit, right? Like, don't look no dudes in the eye when I'm around and stuff like that. No, 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 no. Like, this is like calling him daddy. That's not a cult. That's a, I mean, you can call it a cult if you want, but I mean, that sounds like he got a stable where, yeah, man, and what I couldn't tell or I don't remember right now, were these women like only sleeping with him or were they sleeping with other people also? Because if so, I mean, then that's what you got as a pimp, right? So anyway, I mean, I don't think that detail is necessarily important. I mean, it seems pretty clear that while these women are of age, um, They are there against their will, which doesn't I mean, regardless of what the legality of it is, because apparently the FBI and everybody's trying to get into it and they can't regardless of the the legality of the situation. I think that we would argue that, you know, that sounds kind of messed up. Like I've heard people try to be like, I don't even understand why we're talking about this. If it's if it's legal, like the only time that you talk about anything is that it's illegal. Like what a ridiculous standard to have. Bottom line is we got to do that we've known for a while, or shall we say we've had reason to believe for a while, because I don't want to get sued, but we got a guy that we've thought of as a sexual predator, right? And there seems to be more evidence that he is a sexual predator. It's also of note that these women are under his keep. Some of them, they're reported there to be like 18. What do you think they got there on their 18 birthdays? And this dude here says, Kell's got a harem of women of age. I don't see nothing wrong. Well, that's because you're a stupid motherfucker, Bucky. The reason that there's something wrong at this is I think that you're operating, like, on this initial premise that if somebody like R. Kelly has a harem, then what it is is just a bunch of women who walked in and were like, yes, I would like my place in R. Kelly world. Right? Like, what do you think they did? Do you think they filled out applications hoping to have a spot like you sound like? Pimp shit there again, right? Like, that's the pimp line that, you know, it's all about choice. They choose to be here. They choose me. What we have and what the reporting seems to indicate is that R. Kelly starts this with the, I'm going to make you a star. And then these women come in and they want to be stars. And once that happens, the exploitation begins because there is a power dynamic at play that puts him in charge, and that's before you start dealing with the fact that these women are crazy young. Right, that's before you get to the fact that these women are crazy young. So the the standard of behavior here cannot simply be that this is legal. I think that there's a certain basic level of human decency that requires us to really not just be out here exploiting people in these ways. And I don't think that you can make any argument against the fact that R. Kelly is exploited, the power that he has in the position that he has. And he is exploiting young women. Regardless of whether or not they are some epsilon older than the age of majority. And it's not cool. And It's disturbing. And if you at the very least cannot understand why people find it to be disturbing, it is fair to question whether you yourself are either A, a sexual predator, B, desire to be a sexual predator, or you just think there's nothing cooler in the world than the idea of having a bunch of women in a house who call you daddy, which might be an indicator that your penis is small. Anyway, here's the thing on R. Kelly, though. The reaction to it has been interesting. Um, it gets us to that place of um, art and artists, right? Where do you separate the art from the artist? I do not require artists that I support, and I don't don't even like this idea necessarily of like you're supporting the artist. Like, no, I'm consuming a product. Like, Do you understand how many products I consume that are made by awful human beings or by corporations that exploit people in ways not directly in line with what R. Kelly is doing, but at the same time, is you know not cool now we all got lines that we draw on these matters and I don't judge anybody for any line whatsoever that they decide to draw or why they don't support somebody or they don't consume somebody's art it doesn't matter in the least to me why you choose to do it you don't have to explain it you don't have to But and I think I've talked about this before on this podcast, but I think this is an important point. I do find that there is a certain level of sanctimony from the R. Kelly is terrible. The most vocal members of the R. Kelly is terrible crowd that I find to be a bit disingenuous is not the word. Right. Disingenuous is not the word. Um, That's the best way to put this. I tweeted about this before and I was far more eloquent than I'll be right now. But basically. Just about all of us are making some exceptions. Like, if you would like me to be frank, I will be frank. Because I think that it is necessary to be frank on this matter, because I don't want to put this off as though I'm coming at you from like some position of moral authority. James Brown is one of the probably three or four most important um musicians of the 20th century. He is probably the most influential musician of the 21st century. He is quite possibly the coldest musician of the 21st century, Prince included, right? Like you have arguments for all this with James Brown. James Brown's music is phenomenal, okay? Absolutely, 100% phenomenal. James Brown savagely beat the women that he was with. I was reading a story once and it was some interview with uh, one of James Brown's daughters who talked about walking into his parents' bedroom and his mother is laying on the bed and James Brown is like on top of her, straddling her, just beating her bloody, just punching her in the face, right? And that is awful. And that is indefensible, right? And apparently... It's going to take a lot more than James Brown getting on top of a woman in a bed and beating her silly for me to stop listening to James Brown's music. Because I read that story and I listened to that story, you know, and I saw that and I've read other awful things about James Brown. And I'm still jamming James Brown and I'm probably going to jam James Brown until the day that I die. And if you wish to judge me for that fact, I understand it. But my guess is that you got somebody you making an exception for. like you still out here listening to Led Zeppelin or Jimmy Page in this uh, 14-year-old situation? Right? Are you doing that? Because if you are, nope. I don't feel like I'm in a position to judge. I don't. Now, R. Kelly creates a different situation, though. The difference with R. Kelly is the more and more that you listen to R. Kelly and the more that you know about R. Kelly, the more it seems like R. Kelly's music is absolutely a soundtrack to his objectionable behavior. That's where the issue comes. And that's where R. Kelly is different than a lot of the other people that we're going to name. A lot different. I mean, R. Kelly did seems like you're ready. R. Kelly wrote the Aaliyah album and gave it the title age ain't nothing but a number, right? You listen to these R. Kelly albums that are so sexually explicit. You know what R. Kelly's into. You know what R. Kelly's about. It becomes impossible to separate the art from the artist when it's R. Kelly. So I am inclined to look at you a little bit funny if you're full on into this R. Kelly thing. Because you know what he's talking about. The man calls himself the Pied Piper of R&B. Like he's throwing it in your faces. He's throwing it in all of our faces. I admit that when he first started doing that, I actually didn't know what the story of the Pied Piper was. I just heard people talk about it. That was probably one of those things I was using improperly in a sentence. But anyway, how you separate R. Kelly from the things that we know about R. Kelly, I don't know. I do not. Like, it's very difficult for you to make the argument that this is just some stories and things that he's writing about. No, 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 no. It is really, 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 really hard to do. Also, don't forget this line from R. Kelly. Now, granted, you know, it's within a whole nother song that's got a lot going on. But remember we had that one song we talked about, didn't know you had male friends, off up in college? What grown woman? Got male friends off up in college, right? Like this, what he is. This what he about. This what he's sharing with you. It's a little more than I can do. But I'm also not gonna pretend like I don't understand exactly how you can get caught up. I talked about this. Chocolate Factory came out. You know the the story had really started to break in '02. And then you got them singles that started coming. And then Chocolate Factory came out in 03. And I listened to Chocolate Factory one time and one time more. And I was like, man, take this away from me. Because you're not about to have me jamming this. This is jamming. It is so jamming. Like, I treated Chocolate Factory. Like my man tells a story about having a piano teacher who used to play jazz piano back in the day. And he said the piano teacher uh, decided he wanted to try heroin, right? Because he was a jazz piano player. And that's what a jazz piano player did at that time. They did heroin, right? And so he said he tried heroin one time. And he said that when he came down after trying heroin, he looked at whoever it was he was with, and he was like, all right. I need you to make sure I never do that again because I've never felt that good in my life. It's not terribly different than how I played with Chocolate Factory. I was like, nah, man, I'm being dead up honest with you right now. I never listened to Chocolate Factory ever again after that one time. I haven't listened to an R. Kelly album since then. I guess I listened to Best of Both Worlds but I haven't listened to anything since then. I was just like, man, I can't do this. Like with him, that was a place where I drew the line. That was it. But that was me, and I understand that all kinds of people got places where they, where they don't draw the line. A whole lot of people that draw the line at uh, R. Kelly do not draw the line at Marvin Gaye whole lot of people who draw the line at Chris Brown do not draw the line at Bill Withers. We don't draw the line on everybody. And my only like real point that I want to make on that is I think we need to have some understanding of the fact that we don't all draw a line. I mean, we don't draw lines on everybody. We're not hard and fast and strictly on principle about these things. We're not. And so I understand the people who see this with R. Kelly and they take the continued support of R. Kelly as a tacit endorsement of the exploitation of young black girls, right? I I understand why people would take that personally in such a way that then brings them to lash out at those who continue to listen to R. Kelly's music and go to R. Kelly's concerts and book R. Kelly, all those things, right? Like I understand the very personal things that would make somebody approach it in that way. But aside from that justified emotion, is the reality that we all out here picking and choosing. You know? so i don't blame people necessarily for their outrage but i do blame them for their sanctimony now it's possible there's somebody that's batting a thousand on this right right like it is totally possible that there is somebody who is batting a thousand on um only being full-on in line with the morals when they pick they they they, fit their artists or who they're going to listen to or whatever it is okay Now, I mentioned Marvin Gaye briefly. Um, Now, Marvin Gaye's story uh, goes, there are a few stories about the recording of Let's Get It On, but um, Let's Get It On, Janice Hunter, I believe, was there at the sessions for Let's Get It On, and that was supposedly, like, the muse of this very impassioned vocal that he had on that song. And, you know, Janice Hunter was 16 years old. Right. She was 16 years old. And by the way, in her um, autobiography, which she wrote with David Ritz, which is interesting because David Ritz wrote an amazing biography of Marvin Gaye called Divided Soul, and David Ritz uh, knew both of them. Um, Dude, she said that, you know, she was all young when she met Marvin Gaye. Marvin got her out here snorting blow, smoking weed. They out here having like crazy sex orgies. Um and stuff like that. And she like he's setting her out for his partners. And then when they did it, he's then coming back and judging them as a result and telling them that he turns them on to watch them fall in his eyes and like all this crazy manipulative mind stuff that was going on with him, man. Um, soon I'll be loving you off of I Want You. Is that not the song where he says that he wants to give her H E A D? Where, like, he spells it out. Right? Spells it out. And also, I noticed that, like, in the wiki entry, it doesn't really mention that this was about Janice Hunter, and I'm pretty sure they explicitly calls her Jan in the song. In the song. I think that when he recorded this, she may have been 18 years old, 18 or 19. So, are you giving Marvin back? Yeah, my man here mentions I met a little girl. I met a little girl on Hear My Dear, which I think may have been perhaps of the many cruel songs on Hear My Dear. I met a little girl might've been the cruelest. One, considering that this is the divorce album to his wife, who is the woman that he was married to, who was 17 years older than him, that he left for a woman 17 years younger than him. Are you giving Marvin Gaye back? Right. I think we could probably pick some more. Most of us aren't giving them all back. For whatever reason. Most of us aren't giving them all back. And for some people, for whatever reason, R. Kelly's the one they're not giving back. Miles Davis is one that many have made the decision not to give back. And the Miles Davis one is wild because Miles Davis ain't really giving you even a no whole lot of denials. like well, Miles Davis gave you snarling, defiant, I don't have to answer to you about these things. Miles Davis is beating a woman that America kind of loves. Right. And a whole lot of these people on the R. Kelly high horse are not giving Miles Davis back. They're not. Now, let you like quibble and determine what that says about the human condition and everything else. I'll let you figure that out. I'm just saying that, yo, I understand. We all got some people that we not giving back. Now, again, I would be curious to know why it is that R. Kelly, why this is the guy that you're not giving back. And I also recognize that part of the reason that R. Kelly may be the guy that you're not giving, giving back is we ain't put out a better singer since. We haven't. Like I talk about Guns N' Roses, which is one that people have to make some decisions about whether or not to give back, right? Um, they hadn't been a front man since Axl Rose, as cold as Axl Rose. There ain't been a singer as cold as R. Kelly since R. Kelly hit the scene. And people aren't giving them back. So anyway, I just think it gets to be interesting. It's more on a purely intellectual level. It is more interesting to evaluate or just look at how we do and don't decide to give people back. But I understand if this for you is an emotional thing. I also, again, don't quite understand how you can be gifted enough to separate R. Kelly from what he sings. Because the R. Kelly that we know about and the one that sings, they seem to be the same dude. Except when he decides he needs Jesus to forgive him. See, that's the other thing, too, about R. Kelly that I wonder how this factors in to the way some people receive him is that he went out there and he like put out that that gospel album and all. Like I wonder if some people believe that he's just a lost soul that's trying to find his way. Like I don't go to church, so I don't really know how that stuff runs. Maybe that's it. I don't know. Now, my man, Buggy, says you can't blame Kells for the death of R&B. and b has been gentrified. That is actually an interesting question. I do not know if it's fair to say that you can blame R. Kelly for the death of R&B. However, I do believe he's got a certain measure of blood on his hands. And the reason I say he's got a certain measure of blood on his hands is R. Kelly reached this point where he decided that he was going to do this singing rapping thing. Right? You remember when he really decided that that was what he was going to do? Like, he reached a point in the late 90s, the early 2000s, where he sounded as much like the Bone Thugs as he did like Teddy Pendergrass. Now, part of what was interesting about his decision to do that, because Artelli is a musical genius, a simple-minded genius, but musical genius nonetheless is, he was good at it. Right? I mean, like, mean, everybody's going to be, like, just objective about the sonic properties of it. Ignition and the Ignition remix are fire. How fire are they? They're so fire that this dude sang a song that starts Let Me Stick My Key in Your Ignition and you didn't immediately turn it off. It's fire. He was able to do these things that we generally don't didn't want singers to do he was able to pull it off like this full-on aesthetic of the like flossy hip-hop of the era he was able to do it and so that meant he could then float into all the r&b songs i mean the, the rap songs and the rappers could float into his or whatever like i mean It was kind of tactically brilliant, and it wound up having a significant impact on the way that the music game went from there, you know? So, like, yeah, you got, like, New Jack Swing, which is really these cats, like, singing over rap beats. R. Kelly just took this to a completely different place, like the full mishmash of the aesthetics. And basically, I feel like the last 15 years have been a bunch of R&B artists trying to do that, or perhaps even worse, a bunch of rappers trying to do that very thing but no 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 r kelly definitely did influence the game to go in a direction that he was talented enough to make work um but not everybody else was this dude bucky apparently is the president of the r kelly fan club he's like kills introduced a new generation of the isleys twice no no, I don't really think it was twice. I think the first time, and then it was a continuation as it went. Also, those R. Kelly, uh, the Ozzy brothers made a mistake given R. Kelly that much control over their career because they let him do a bunch of silliness um, with him there. I'd also probably make the argument that, honestly, rap sampling did more to introduce the Ozzy brothers to that generation than keep it on the download did. I appreciate the question. Let me see what else you got here. Isn't there an argument to be made that artists giving you something personal that they are representing comes from a special place different from merely commerce? I love Woody Allen's films. He's a huge influence on me, but I won't watch his films anymore. See, that's interesting. I think there's something to that, right? Um, and I think part of it is our standards for the people with whom we do commercial business are so low because we expect the, the, we expect something commercial to be soulless. We expect something different from artists, right? Like we do expect it to be something personal. That's why I don't blame people when they decide, okay, I'm going to draw the line right here if it happens to make them uncomfortable. Where I disagree with people on this logic is the idea of I'm not going to support. Well, no, I don't disagree with that. That's not fair either. Like, I'm not going to support them with my money. Like, yeah, there are some people I'm not going to give my money, but there's something decidedly American about the idea that, like, the most powerful thing that you can do is give somebody your money. It's like the people who say they're not going to pay to watch a Floyd Mayweather fight, but they still stream it. You see what I'm saying? Right, They're like, I'm not giving him my money. Yeah, like Floyd was really going to miss your 20 bucks, buddy, or whatever Like the ultimate profit is that Floyd gets off of that. Yeah, he was really going to miss that 30 bucks, right? But I didn't give him my money. That's a hollow victory in a lot of ways if you still go try to backdoor it or whatever it is. And so and I feel kind of it's a hollow victory withholding the 20. It's kind of a hollow victory. Like, is it a hollow gesture to give the 20? But to a degree, I understand where people draw the line. So Woody Allen is interesting because he makes these movies that, by and large, are about Woody Allen, right? Like, I haven't watched many Woody Allen movies, so I can't speak to that. But, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but Woody Allen movies feel like, from what I've read, are, like, kind of, sort of, like, about Woody Allen. And so I kind of feel like you put him in the same place that you put R. Kelly, where, like, where do you draw the line between this guy you see on screen and what you've known about him in real life? I don't think that's very easy to do. Um, Bill Cosby, I'm kind of done. For whatever reason, right? I'm kind of done. Um, if you listen to my old radio shows, you know that one of my favorite sounders is, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard in my life. No wonder you, do you make D's in everything. Me and Shannon look at each other probably about once a week. And we hate the fact that we just can't use that anymore. Like I'm just not doing it. I'm not there. And it's not really because I'm afraid of what people will say. I don't feel comfortable doing that. For whatever reason with Bill Cosby, that's a place where I drew the line. Yeah, my man here says, Don't forget Morgan Freeman. He gets a pass from everybody. Um, Although, if I'm not mistaken, I think they kind of looked into that Morgan Freeman thing, and it might not have been exactly as it was reported. Check that out. That being said, a whole lot of people did give him a pass thinking that he needed a pass. Appreciate the question. Let me see what we got here. this is a good way to wrap this up. Thinking back on last week's discussion, is Ann Coulter too rich to be flying coach? So, yeah, Ann Coulter got into some hubbub with the people on Delta. um, And I believe she said that she paid for an economy comfort seat. And when she said she didn't get it or something like that, I didn't have time to pay attention to the particulars because, I mean, I really don't do this Ann Coulter thing. But this is an interesting point that my man raises here. What in the world is Ann Coulter doing in coach? Like Ann Coulter is kicking it like I kicked it in 2014, calling myself balling by getting the exit row. Right. So here's where that takes me. How much money is Ann Coulter really making? I mean, because I've always had real questions about what exactly her, like, real influence is. Like, how many people are, like, I mean, I bet she sells some books here and there, but, like, how many, I've never, I feel like the only time I hear anybody really talking about Ann Coulter is when Ann Coulter says something crazy, which to me is a sign that you're not nearly as big a deal as advertised. So, like, how much money is Ann Coulter actually making? I'm I mean, not in a pocket watch sort of way. I just want to know like what that role that she's playing. I'm just curious what it pays. Not even on some, I hope it's worth it type. I mean, I'm just really like how much does it pay to be in culture? Cause yeah, I would dog. I'm done with coach me. I granted I'm six, four, but I'm done with coach. Why is she still there? But all right, ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on The Evening Jones. We try to do this thing here uh, once a week. My man, Lance Gilliam, handles everything behind the scenes. Thank you, sir. Remember, if you were not able to catch The Evening Jones live, subscribe to the podcast, subscribe at the iTunes store, subscribe at Stitcher Radio. Check us out on SoundCloud as long as you can do that. I also believe we are at the Google Play Store. Hope to talk to you guys next week. Take it easy.